Hi everyone, Dan here. And before we start the show, I'd like to take a moment to talk about the WMQ&A Patreon and what it can do for you. For example, did you know we have a monthly bonus podcast called Our Son Pete, in which a guest joins me to talk about a comic starring British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom? It's true. We also have Pete Wisdom stickers designed by Kevin Newburn that say hot claws on them and look great. But maybe that's not what you're looking for. Maybe you're an up-and-coming creator trying to get the word out about your Kickstarter, Zoop, webcomic, or independent book. We can only do so many hour-long interviews in a month. But for $25, we'll dedicate a 60-second spot to shouting out your project, guaranteeing you a few hundred extra earballs. Or maybe you want to advertise your mattress in a box or online therapy program or your pubic hair trimmer. For $50 a month, you can sponsor the show. Who wouldn't want to hear me read ad copy about custom-fit underpants or whatever? These are all options available to you, but only if you back us at patreon.com slash WMQComics. What are we going to do? Say no to your money? Actually, we will if you're a Nazi, but you're probably not. Right? WMQA! Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week's guest is the writer of comics like Images Dead Lucky and Radiant Pink, and Boom's Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Melissa Flores. Welcome. Hi, guys. I didn't know you guys were best friends. That's so cool. 30 years 30 now. Years. Yep, 30 years this month. Wow. Okay. I, I just, as soon as I said that, I was like, well, I really hope that they didn't replace somebody in the middle of this because that would have been really awkward if I just. <laughs> <laughs> 30 years. That's awesome. Well, we'll have to do that as a bit sometime, you know, replace one of us with some other person and then well, say that, you know, they've been best friends for 30 years. Actually, we, we're no longer speaking. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. We did already have the world's, the, we, we have the world's worst scroll. We did have the world's worst scroll in that one episode. But you know what? Really? April Fool's Day comes every year. So <laughs> always time for new bits. But uh, Melissa, you're a first time guest. So what I are am. some of what are some of the first comics that you remember reading? Um, you know, I got started a later in comics. I wasn't one of those kids that was grew up reading them um, because um, I have an incredible family, but my dad's an immigrant. And my mom uh, was born here, but um, we didn't really, I wasn't around the kind of, they, they weren't walking into comic book stores sure. mm -hmm. uh, to read comics. Um, but I was always obsessed with superheroes ever since I was a little kid. I was always the people that or the girl, the kid that wanted action figures instead of Barbies, um, which is nothing against Barbies. My sisters loved them. I just I wanted to go on adventures and to go like kill a dragon and they wanted to have beach parties. So uh, so I was always really drawn to animation and cartoons and, and all that stuff. And and as I grew older, I was obsessed with video games and so I, I found a game that um is pretty iconic now but it was uh injustice the first one mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the the superman one and it, i got the deluxe version and in that version it came with the comic book for the for the tom taylor series sure and and i just i read the comic and again, I knew nothing at that point. I just thought that this was going to be the story in 22 pages. And so I, I read the, the comic and then I was like, this is where's the rest of it. So uh, so I had to like go to a comic book store and like find year one and find year two. And and it was it changed my life. I was like, this is absolutely amazing. And so I became a reader of comics then. And then uh, when I was at Saban Brands as a creative executive, boom studios got the license for the power ranger comic books 
And mm -hmm. so I was at the time the director of Power Rangers development and production, which basically just meant like if there was a story that had to do with Power Rangers and it wasn't the television series, um, chances are I was the one in charge of from a brand perspective, making sure that the story was good, that it made sense, blah, blah, blah. So I got like the boot camp to end all boot camps when it came to the creation and production of comic books through the lovely patient staff of Boom Studios and our product guy, Edgar. And because um, I had to read every script and I had like my team had to go through all the stories and there's a lot of lore when it comes to Power Rangers. So that's when I really began to appreciate the craft of comic books and how different it was compared to the television series or movie or video games. And I, that's when I really fell in love with the narrative medium of comic books. And um, and that's when I really started like looking at classic arts and reading like uh, the Tom Kings and 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 obviously Kyle and all these like you know amazing uh, graphic novels and so um, and so then when I when I left Hasbro, um, I became um, I got really interested in writing them. <laughs> that that's great and uh, you know it's 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 interesting because you know I you don't hear often about other media drawing people into the comics and, and but your 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 origin story is kind of all over that between yeah. you know getting a comic with injustice and and you know actually actively seeking out more uh of that and then and then kind of coming into the power rangers comics through uh, you know uh the the tv and 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 everything else you know so that's that that is awesome to see. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun and truly, truly, I think like the best possible education you could get when you're uh, when you're having to learn what layouts are and what pencils are. And I, like that's a completely different experience and, and trying to like recognize the freedom of the artist versus what the brand requires. Um, it was a learning process and I credit Boom and I credit our product guys for being so patient with us as we tried to navigate what that meant for a brand perspective. Um, but truly, truly, like these these artists and these writers were fantastic and, and they elevated the brand for an older audience in a way that I'd never imagined. And that's when I really fell in love with what Power, what, um, Power Rangers and what comics could be, what what they achieve and what they do in that they don't have a budget like a television series does the only really the only thing that really is is inhibiting you is the imagination of the writer and the imagination of the artist and also brand guidelines but if you're a licensed book but um that's yeah it was amazing and and we were there doing that first arc with kyle and through shattered grid and just the transformative way that story um became so important to power rangers it was really fun to witness and it was really fun to be a part of and now you're you're friends and, and making comics with these guys yeah. with kyle and with ryan parrot yeah thankfully they could have hated me because <laughs> <But, laughs> i remember i used to joke with them that i would happily send over an eight by ten of myself so they could put up on their on their wall and like send darts because sometimes i just i knew i gave notes that they hated um but i mean that was the job and one of the things I really tried um, to do, and, and it was a learning process, I had to learn this um, through my years of being an executive, is to really respect the writer and the story that they were telling 
And, um, and when I would issue challenges, it wasn't the story that I wanted to tell. It was never about, here's the note that I would give because I would do it this way. It was more of, um, here's the note I'm giving you because there's this issue. I would like you to figure out how to solve it. Here's maybe a suggestion if you want to take it or leave it. Um, and so that was really what I, I, by the end of my tenure there, I, I had worked really hard at maintaining these relationships with these writers and respect, make sure they knew I respected what they did. And thankfully through that, and, um, and because Kyle was just not just a writer or a director, and so we got to work on other projects together, we became friends. And so um, by the time I left Hasbro, I think we both appreciated each other uh, on a different level in that we appreciated each other as friends because we had by that time we had worked together so closely that and hung out and like done things together that we actually were legitimately friends that hung out outside of work but also um he respected my creative mind and i respected his and um, it's actually funny because technically on on dead lucky and like the super massive stuff like he's my boss <laughs> so it's kind of like the tables have twisted a little bit and it, he likes that but um but it's fun because we um, we really do enjoy each other. And I enjoy uh, working with every one of those people. Those Massiverse people are just special as all hell. I love them all. Uh, Ryan, Matt, Michael, Cherish, Megan, they're all incredible. And our artists are insane. And it's just, it's lovely. So I'm lucky to be a part of that team. And, and you know, truly, uh, it is a team effort coming up. You know, one of the big things is the uh, super massive one shot coming out uh may 24th uh you know which uh your your, your book uh dead lucky is crossing over with uh mm -hmm. radiant black and uh ryan parrot's rogue son you know all part of this shared superhero universe uh danielle de nicolo's drawing uh obviously yeah. used to do power rangers uh matt why don't you hit the listeners with the pitch for this one a doorway has opened beyond it lies the holy grail Yes, that holy grail. But why are Radiant Black, Rogue Sun, and the Dead Lucky also desperate to get their hands on it? And who is the mysterious woman who stands in their way? So, given you're dealing with that holy grail, uh, which which is the bigger threat in this story? The killer bunny, the multi-eyed dragon of the castle Arg, or that one French knight who taunts everybody? <laughs> Um, I'm going to go with the killer bunny. Uh, no, I, they, they definitely have trials. It'll be, it fun, it's fun to see the different characters uh, react to them in different ways. I think we, we really tried to craft the story and um, credit to Michael and Matt specifically who like helped wrangle us all together uh, to make sure each character had a chance to shine in their own ways. And really we thought about like what, what each character brought to the table that was different from somebody else. And, and the really cool thing about it is that every single one of those characters, whether it's Marshall, Nathan, uh, Radiant, or the Radiance, or Rogue Sun, or Dead Lucky, we specifically put them in very interesting places. So by the time you get to Supermassive, they all have different questions in their head that, um, that they're trying to answer. And I think that they think that the Holy Grail will solve. And, um, I'll give some spoilers for the dead lucky because the trade is out. So, um, but for BB, uh, she lost somebody very close to her in the first arc of the dead lucky. And I don't think she's ready to accept that he's gone yet. So for her, um, 
the Holy Grail is, is hope that maybe she could try and see him again. And so that's a, that's a big motivator for her. And it might put her at odds with the others because again, they all have their own reasons why they want the Grail. So it's definitely a different tone than the first Supermassive, but I'm excited that, that BB gets to be, gets to play along with the gang this time. It was fun to be part of that group. The first one avoided a lot of that typical heroes bashing against heroes thing you get. So it sounds like we're in a more competitive place, especially after the end of that last arc of Rogue Sun and where Rogue Sun is. It's like, ooh, that's Yeah. I mean, I would say I wouldn't say competitive. I would have said I would say hesitantly cooperative. You know, we don't have the beautiful uh Cass Cassandra. Uh, or Cassia, sorry, the beautiful Cassia to like, you know, be friendly and cute to everyone. <laughs> and, um, and obviously our rogue son is in a interesting place. And, um, and, and dead lucky uh, is not friendly <laughs> on, on, on a good day. So uh, especially when she, hi, baby, sorry, my Speaking of, um, of co-writers, my <laughs> no. co-writer Megan's dog is with us for a while. So this is Chewy. Oh. Wait, yeah. no, well, hold on, hold on. That dog's name is Chewy? That is Chewy, yeah. My dog's <laughs> name is Chewy. Oh, my God. They're soulmates. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, she's a 13, 13 and a half year old uh, mini dachshund. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah, he's a, how old, you, how old are you now, Chewy? You're 10? He's 10 years old Yorkie, but he's got the Chewy face for sure. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, uh. It, it was a lot of fun. Definitely, I think the first Supermassive had a much friendlier vibe. These guys in Supermassive 2 are on a mission, but that doesn't mean we don't have a, we don't have time for the fun and games and for the and for the quirks and, and conflicts and, and just fun that you expect in a crossover like this. So in, in this process, you know, in this working with the Supermassive team, you know, what is something that you've learned working alongside these other writers and what's something they've learned from you? Um, I mean, I feel like I'm learning something every day from these guys. I mean, these are pedigree pedigree writers. Like I am truly always humbled uh, to be in the room with them because even though I, I, I think I'm good at what I do, um, I have been a creative executive a lot longer than I've been a writer. And, um, and I, I do think Kyle took a chance on me in order to, um, to get the dead lucky made and, and I appreciate it. But I am continually astounded um, and impressed by Ryan's character work, which is incredible. Uh, Matt Groom is incredibly smart when it comes to uh, laying out a, a plot and where the pages are supposed to go. And Kyle, um, I would never say Kyle's a writer. Kyle's a director. He is a visionary in terms of what he wants and um, and how he wants to use the medium, but also twist it in different ways. And we experienced that when we were at Power Rangers, when he came to us and said he wanted to do a promo film for Shattered Grid. And, um, and we just had to trust him. And, um, and we, we, we did. And I was on set for it. And it just came out beautiful. The Shattered Grid two minute promo film with JDF, like Preston Soul, maybe my dear friend. And and he does he's doing that now like every um every six months he's got something else he's doing like a blacklight edition or that beautiful fold out or 
um, if you haven't scanned the QR code for the latest Radiant Black, like now you get to choose who the next Radiant Black is going to be. And so I'm always impressed by his ability to want to push things forward. I feel like I am still in my infancy when it comes to uh, what I want my comics to be. And so like all I'm trying to do is tell a good story. But I mean, he's been doing this for so long and he's so good at it that like he's already thinking like he this this choice thing he was he had it like he was planning for it like a year and a half ago. And uh, and I'm just like astounded by it um, in terms of what they learned from me. Um, I think there's value in having a woman and a minority in the group, um, especially one that has been a producer and knows how to maneuver and, and work with talent in a different way. And, um, and I think that's probably where, um, where my value um, has come when it comes of helping Kyle, um, mostly Kyle, because I work the most with him, obviously. Um, but Kyle and I will have these brainstorms and we'll talk about it. And we'll talk about it like producers because that's what we are. Um, but at the end of the day, that's what we are. We were, we were producers before we were writers and we're together. And so that's really what we do. We like spark each other, uh, spark to each other. He'll like tell me his ideas. I'll throw his, I'll throw him ideas. And that's, I think, the most fun part of it when we're like, we're colleagues. I remember we, we did uh, the Shattered, we did Battle for the Grid, which was a video game story mode for uh for a console and we had to vo we were basically voice directed it together and he wrote it for us and so it's always been a very like a, a partnership with me and kyle and so and, and we learn from each other we we bring different things to the table and um he was an he's an audiophile i mean he was a, a audio mixer before he became a writer i worked in animation and i i was a tv producer and so we have different ideas but um, but I think we both really respect um, our creative instincts and what and what where we come from. And um, and so when it comes like I always approach a place being, you know, a, a queer female minority of how can we add diversity? How can we make this world look more like the world I know? And um, and he does that plenty on his own. But um, but I think it's always a nice uh, reminder. <laughs> but also just we respect each other, each other's talent and each other's creative instincts really, really well. And I think um, we both kickstart each other quite a bit when it comes to that stuff. It's, you know, and, and that's the thing that I, I definitely notice in reading these books. You know, there is such a, a sort of DIY spirit in them for all the reasons you just mentioned, you know, videos, podcasts, merch, you know, orchestral scoring, uh, you know, but, it, but it all feels like it's coming from, you know, these are, these are creator own comics we're dealing with here. So there is yeah. no corporate direction. It's, it's coming from a place of you guys all saying, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? Wouldn't it be cool if we did a choose your own adventure comic? Wouldn't it be cool? Yes. Yep. You know, yes. And yes, yes. Exactly. And that's yeah. exactly right. Exactly. And and they're both they're like Ryan and Kyle are just so freaking good at it. And like Matt too, like Matt was so committed that he wanted Inferno Girl Red to be a graphic novel. And he could have very easily pivoted to making it weeklies because he didn't want to wait. But but he I mean, that was the vision that he had in his head. It was a graphic novel. This was meant to be a graphic novel. And those make the best kind of stories because you know exactly what medium you want and why you want it that way. And, um, and it came, it's a beautiful genius book that like has gorgeous art and he had the patience and the fortitude to pull it off to an incredible degree. 
And I think that's what I admire most, their creative instincts and how sure they are of what they want to do. And, um, and then they just do it. It's freaking cool. You know, I, I remember I gave him so much crap for his like, uh, box that had like soap in it. <laughs> like people loved it. It was great. I was like, well, you better save me a soap then, but, uh, or a bath bomb. It was a bath bomb. It was a radiant black bath bomb. And then he like got all crazy about black lights. And I was like, okay, that's sure. Cool. <laughs> but it's beautiful. I mean, we went to the uh, Lockport last year. We did a Lockport party, mm -hmm. where which is where Radiant Black, that's the hometown of the city, is. And he had there was a room that had all twenty five pages of the Blacklight Edition in frames, and the whole thing was pitch black except for you the the UV lights. Beautiful, like when you and when you see it in that kind of perspective, it's game changing. Like it's like you. I'm still holding out hope that we could do a scratch and sniff edition. That's my big idea. Actually, it's Megan's, but, <laughs> but no, it's, it's incredible. And I, you're, you're right. We can only do that sort of thing and create our own comics. And I think they've, they've more than earned that place, but I think they're, they're redefining the game in a really cool way. And, um, and, and really asking the question, what can you do with comic books? And at this moment, we're like discovering there's really no limit. It's really fun. Are there, uh, and, and first of all, I was just going to say, when we talked, we talked to Matt, or excuse me, we talked to Kyle, uh, I think two years ago, Radiant Black must have just been with them, it, within the first arc, if it had even yeah. started yet. The bath bombs were a topic of discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were right when it was about to end its first arc, because we've gotten, yeah, because we got Matt just as the Inferno Girl Red Kickstarter was about to kick off mm -hmm. and ryan oh yeah oh yeah we've had ryan both we had ryan last ryan... fall yeah nice yeah. yeah just before the choose your own adventure isn't that crazy it was so good i can't imagine like how i i wouldn't can't even imagine how he wrote that like his brain must be working like twistiest ways because i was just it gave me a headache just trying to follow it and it was so freaking genius i was like how did you put this together it's really cool Absolutely. Are are there best practices that you all have been able to take from other non-Big Two shared superhero universes, you know, Valiant, maybe even the early days of Image, you know, in, in sort of planning, you know, your guys' stuff? I know the guys are really inspired by the early days of Image, you know, because they grew up on comic books. I have less of that um, older pedigree just because, again, I got started so late, so mm -hmm. differently. Um, so I feel like I'm learning as I go. Um, and I'll, I'll like buy books that I feel like I should read. Um, but definitely, I, I think it's more a lot of like we've worked on for me, my inspiration and my how I do things is, is defined so much by my Power Rangers experience, just because I have been I worked for Power Rangers for 10 years. That was my entire existence for so long. I have a Power Rangers tattoo like that was literally everything. And so um, and I was always been a DC girl at heart and a Marvel girl. And so. For me, my experience was always defined by an outsider's perspective of what comic books looked like. So um, there were things that I thought were important that um, the guys agreed with me on um, that wasn't necessarily, we all basically came to the same conclusion. It wasn't like one person thought of it, but it was just like, we never want to create events where you have to buy like 15 different books from 20 different series in order to follow what's going on. Um because you know and as much as i love those crazy events that happen in the dc world in the marvel worlds like when you have those big checklists and you have to find every story 
or wait for the hardcover that collects them all. <laughs> um, I, I really loved the idea. And it was important for every one of those guys that these series um, live in their own worlds because we're all such different writers and we all tell such different stories that even if we have a same cinematic universe and we're all sharing it together, um, if you only want to read Dead Lucky or if you only want to read Radiant Black, that's okay. You're allowed to do that without feeling like you're being punished for not reading the other ones. And um, and that was really important to all of us. Um, we definitely talk about like ways to connect the worlds a little bit, but it's always peripherally. Like, for example, um, there's an iconic villain that Kyle has called Shift and uh, Shift appeared in Radiant Black or I'm sorry, in Dead, Dead Lucky for a couple episodes or issues. I always confuse my mediums. I'm sorry. A couple of issues. Um, we talked about like where they are in Supermassive. So we all make sure that they're all relatively the place that we need them to be so that it doesn't disrupt the story. But we're also not going to tell a story in Supermassive that's going to like be so, so catastrophic to the entire world that you go back to the dead lucky and you're like, wait, what, what happened? How did I miss this? Um, we really want to make sure that, um, that our spaces are are respected and shared, but but also respect the fan in general too. So if you if you love the Massiverse and you want to read all of them, fantastic. We'll find ways for you to be rewarded for that. But if you don't, um, then that's okay too. So Radiant Pink, um, it's not like I'm dropping in Dead Lucky references into Radiant Pink just because I'm co-writing the book, right? That's its own thing. It's um, meant to be very self-contained. Yes, you do need to read a little bit of Radiant Black to understand who Radiant Pink is, but it's a different book. And honestly, if you go in cold, that's okay. We got you. And um, and that's been what's really fun about it. I think what's what's really interesting um, is that we all own our own IPs. So it's not like we have one overlord that's telling us what to do. We are literally just a group of friends that were like, hey, we like each other. Let's Let's work together. And there's a lot of trust involved in that. Um, but thankfully, I mean, these are all really good guys. I consider myself a nice person and I don't think anybody, we just all really want to work together and do something cool. And, um, and it's been working out so far. So one thing I was, I was curious about, so the dead lucky takes place in San Francisco and, mm -hmm. you know, it includes a lot of the neighborhoods and the landmarks synonymous with the city. Uh, you know, you've got, well, actually, you know what, let's start there. Um, why, why San Francisco for this story? Um, I am obsessed with San Francisco. It is so interesting what's happening in San Francisco right now. And the story of the dead lucky uh, was very loosely inspired by my girlfriend, Sandra, who is a war veteran. Um, and the stories that she would tell me uh, were always really interesting to me because I, as a civilian, had no reference for how to even like relate to them. So... I wrote The Dead Lucky and BB herself as a veteran with PTSD, but um, because it was loosely based around some of Sandra's like experiences and feelings and stuff, she grew up in San Francisco. And I was always really, I wanted The Dead Lucky to be on the West Coast because uh, Radiant Black is in Chicago, Rogue Sun is in New Orleans, and I really wanted to represent a coastal city because I'm from Los Angeles. That's what I know, but I feel like Los Angeles easy gimme city. Like I wanted something where something truly interesting was happening. And for me right now, San Francisco is interesting because they are very tech forward, but also very, but experiencing an incredible amount of turmoil right now. Uh, 
because of the amount of, of the homeless crisis and the amount of crime that has skyrocketed into downtown. And what you're seeing is this clash of uh, progressives and conservative and fiscal and uh, old China. The Chinatown there is, is, is so interesting to me because it's got such an incredible history, but also it started because they were basically the Chinese people uh, were basically pushed into that little part of the town because they weren't really allowed to go be anywhere else in the city. And, you know, you have uh, the, 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 um, the hate Ashbury district and all of the, the gay, the gay rights, civil rights movement that happened in San Francisco. And it's seen as a very liberal city, but at the same time, the way that the homeless are treated in San Francisco is just such a different kind of really sad <laughs> Thing that's happening and then you have all these silicon valley entrepreneurs that have come in and raised the rent so high that people that have lived in san francisco for decades can no longer afford to live there and so everybody has moved out and now there's like i think downtown's like 60 percent vacant and then when you you walk those streets and then you see these like self-driving cars and you see in the knee and this was this was even like when i was writing the book you were starting seeing them come out like people talking about like these killer robots that were being unleashed in san francisco and it's just such an interesting city. And I feel like it's no, it's like no other city in in America at this point um, because of the diversity, uh, because of the conflict. When we were there, when I was writing, when I was writing, getting ready to write the book, I actually went and just walked the streets with Sandra. And I took a bunch of reference pictures because French, who's an incredible, my incredible co-creator and artist is Italian. He's obviously not going to know San Francisco. So I was literally taking pictures of every, of every district. And, um, and at that time, people just started leaving their trunks open in their cars in downtown because they were getting so tired of people smashing their windows and taking their stuff. <laughs> and it was actually, it was kind of scary in downtown, which I'd never seen before. Um, the vibe was so different. And even now, it just, it's, it's very, it feels very dystopian in San Francisco. And I love San Francisco. I freaking love it. Like it's a beautiful city and there's it's filled with beautiful people, but the, they haven't quite cracked um, how to handle the income disparity and how to handle, um, how to treat, you know, our homeless population with respect, but also, you know, make sure that um, the streets are safer. Like it's such an interesting dichotomy. And that's why I chose it because, um, it is, it is a character in itself. And that's what I wanted for that, for, for BB to come back into a world that just felt different, but still felt the same in terms of she just came from a war zone and now she just stepped right into another one, but it's a different one and she doesn't know how to handle it. I'd wondered about the, the history of Chinatown there. It seemed organic to the characters. And I mean, one of the, my favorite books of the past year or so was uh porn uh, the Good Asian, which was set in 1930s in Chinatown there. So it was kind of like, oh, this is, that was the 30s and this is now and how tragically little has changed. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. And then you see these like beautiful little alleyways in Chinatown. You're like, oh, these are so gorgeous. But you realize they were created for necessity because they weren't safe to walk the main streets. So they had to create these little alleyways. It's just, it's absolutely insane. And when you look at the way um, Asian Americans or Asian immigrants, especially Chinese immigrants, were treated uh, when they were immigrated, when they immigrated to the States. They were brought as slaves, uh, you mm -hmm. know, they were, you know, to build our railroads and then discarded. And um, 
yeah, it's, it's just absolutely crazy. And I really, it was really important to me that BB be biracial, um, because I, I am not Asian, but, um, but Sandra is, and, um, and I really wanted to utilize that the, the, the culture of, of both China, Chinese, the Chinese culture and also the Mexican culture. Cause I think they're very similar. And I've been with my girlfriend for 10 years and I've, I've seen quite a bit of both now. Um, and, and they have a very different attitude about death that, um, that I think, you know, conservative, uh, Christian America has, and they embrace it a lot differently. And, and it's, it's very similar in how they honor the dead in a different way. And also, um, you see a lot of that, um, discrimination. They've experienced a lot of the same amount of discrimination, just, you know, stories told in different ways. So for BB, I really wanted uh, her to be biracial and have that be just a part of her, not something that's ex- ever explicitly spoken to, but just, you know, she is, is she's an American first and foremost, but, you know, she's also Chinese American and she's also Mexican American. And so that came into like, these really fun, like you see these recipes at the end of every book that are Chinese Mexican fusion recipes that Sandra actually creates for me every issue and those actually have become like a real highlight of the book for a lot of fans because they're always looking forward to see what the next recipe is going to be in and so i love that it manifests in different ways uh yeah no i i definitely was going to leave space here for the recipes because you know it's it's one thing to like say okay you know part of this book you know her parents own a a chinese mexican barbecue fusion restaurant you know it's it's one thing to have that but then to have First of all, any back matter in a comic is fantastic, you know, but then to say, oh, you can make burrilla bao buns at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's, just, it's just a great use of back matter. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, we have fun with it. We have fun with it. And um, and we're always like, and again, like I just think I eat so much Chinese food now. Um, and, but you know, I'm also Mexican-American and I love my culture. And I have, I have found that those, flavors mixed really well if you know what you're doing and it's been a lot of fun and, yeah. and you see it have now you made too, the, have you made the recipes together no you know what she <laughs> she's been so busy that no she has not made them for me but uh but i'm waiting she bought <laughs> i'm waiting i really want the corn the corn pancake one because that looks delicious and i love esquitas and so i was like this is what you should do and she's like yeah i can make that she has not made it for me yet. She always she uh, spends half of her time up actually up north on a farm on her. She runs her parents' farm up there, oh, and wow. so she usually she'll create those recipes up there and then send them to me because I am too busy writing to really do them. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually, you'll have a date night in, and yeah, maybe that's. <laughs> there Andrew, you if you're listening, make me yeah, the food. <laughs> just, just, just leave this podcast playing in the background right after she comes back from the farm. And she like keeps texting me because she keeps hearing me say stuff, and she's like, "No, <laughs> it's like you're getting food tonight." I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, an- another reason I-, I appreciate that the book is set in San Francisco is this: it does appear like there's a conference conscious effort to sort of apportion out the massive verse across cities as opposed to like a marvel where everybody's just sort of clumped in new york and yeah. these days an island in the south pacific yeah we we did that on purpose like kyle was like you get a city and you get a city and you get a city like <laughs> when he asked me to pitch the dead lucky it was like pick a city and pick a superhero and, and give me a pitch and and so i i knew that he was in chicago and i knew that kyle, that uh 
Rogue Sun was in New Orleans. And I'm like, those are both really cool places. What's a place that has that same kind of like intrigue and fun that you could do something really cool story-wise? And that's how I landed on San Francisco. I'm just curious, are you all consciously avoiding New York since it's just sort of been done at this point? Says, you know, I would imagine Kyle is. I would again. I can't speak for him. I would imagine. I'm. I'm sure at some point New York is going to fact is going to be a factor, and somebody's going to set a book in New York as a massive burst expands. But Kyle is is a Midwestern boy, like he's from Chicago, and and he like has an affinity for those cities, and um and there's just something so deeply rich and interesting about New Orleans, especially with the story that that Ryan is telling, and when it comes to voodoo and magic and all those interesting layers that he's putting into rogue sun so i'm I'm sure as as narratively um new york makes sense you'll see a new york superhero um i think no one is is where um detroit where i forget where no one is no one yeah i want to say no one is oh yes pittsburgh yes no one is pittsburgh no one is pittsburgh i was listening to the new episode of the podcast this morning yeah and inferno girl red is like not even in our world. So, so we're, we're definitely trying um, different places. Again, I, I only, you know, it comes to the creator own stuff. I'm, I'm only responsible for dead lucky. I like that we're wrapping the West coast, but definitely, I mean, I could see, I could see, you know, eventually Los Angeles, even like being an interesting place for it or Portland or some other places, but um, even Hawaii might be interesting. You never know if the story's right. And the superhero is right. I think each one of us are, are creating a superhero based on a very specific, story and need that we're telling for ourselves and so i'm sure if we have a creator or if one of these guys decides you know this this is the story that i see coming out of new york you'll see it because there's a lot going on there mm-hmm. yeah. we're philly we're <laughs> philly oh my god i went to philly and the food was amazing i live right like you can see the bridge into philadelphia three blocks from my house oh, and fun also grew up 25 minutes outside New York. So that's, uh, we've lived in that corridor our entire lives. So that's cool. I I lived in Los Angeles my whole life. I've never lived anywhere else. But so I get jealous of people that like have lived in the East coast because I love New York and I love like being able to visit when I can. It's so cold. I don't know how you guys do it. Uh, I don't know how you deal with the sticky heat of, california so well, we're not it's not like we're in vegas so we're okay mm. and we have a lot of central air here so <laughs> that's that's fair central heating central exactly. heating is is a blessing it's not like we're boston oh <laughs> yankees oh there we go <laughs> but uh that that was that lucky. Let's let's talk a little uh, radiant pink, which I believe yeah. is wrapping up this month. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, you and Megan Camarena and Emma Cooper and Becca Nolte. Um, yeah. yeah, so this one is a mini series, whereas as Del- Dead Lucky is still ongoing. You know, are there plans for? I mean, I, I asked this knowing that maybe you can't answer, but are there plans for Ava going forward from this? I mean, I would say absolutely. I think. Um... It's, it's, you know, I think Kyle really loves Eva and, um, and we planned this miniseries in conjunction with Kyle and, and we purposely mm-hmm. put the characters in a place where they uh, could be plucked out and used again. 
if needed. And I think that's always the case. I mean, I, I think one of my biggest goals when creating even Kelly, who is Eva's love interest slash antagonist mm-hmm. in, in Radiant Pink was that, you know, I wanted to create a villain that Kyle loved so much that he would want to use her again. And so we purposely uh, created, it's a very special arc and it's very different than anything else that's being told at the massive verse. But, um, but we live in the same world and, and Kyle obviously reads every script and gives copious notes and and so we definitely make sure we're not breaking anything of his but also leaving Eva in a place where he he knows what he's going to do with her after and um and we are we're there to facilitate that in a different way but it's really fun it's so different than dead lucky um it's a very personal story for Megan and um and obviously Megan and I are really good friends and so I a lot of of the emotions and the themes that she's trying to express I've actually seen in in her personal life. And so um, I think it was really personal for both of us. And issue five is really, I, I, it's really good. Like it's, it's, it's almost cathartic in a different way um, because we're really, we're really talking about mental health and the ability to, um, to recognize when you're just not okay. And, um, and this idea of what toxic love is and how, you know, just because you find somebody you love doesn't mean your problems are all just going to go away. And, um, and I think that's, in a romance, it's very easy to just fade to black. And after somebody says, I love you, and you ignore every red flag, which you kind of see in issue four, <laughs> <laughs> issue five is what happens after the fade to black. And, um, and you, and you recognize like, oh, crap, you know, yeah, right. Like she she killed a bunch of people. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't great. And, so, and, and, you know, there's there are euphemisms for, you know, relationships. I think we've all been you know in bad relationships. And and that's really what Radiant Pink is about. And so I really appreciate being able to tell such a personal story wrapped up in a superhero story. I think it's really cool and also just really special. I was uh, splitting co-writing duties uh with with megan on this one you know is there a div- a clear division of labor or just sort of a lot of yes anding uh back and forth and also maybe you know laughing and screaming at points well i mean thankfully megan like i don't know if this would have worked if megan and i weren't as close as we were i mean thankfully we've been we've known each other five years at this point and so we met uh when we were doing power rangers hyperforce which was a power rangers rpg tabletop game that um coincidentally we're now co-writing a one-shot for power rangers called Power Rangers Hyperforce. But um but again, like we we became friends and 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 almost sisters at to a point where we have like we've gone through really intense fights. We've gone through really intense like um emotion in terms of just getting to know each other and and seeing each other through things. And in that respect, you know, when you're trying to tell a story this personal, you need to trust the person that you're writing with. And so the way that we would do it first is you know my desk situation is is interesting that I have two desks in my office uh, because I have a gaming computer and a work computer and so she would sit at the gaming computer which is right back here and I would sit here at the my work computer and then we literally just work off of the same Google Doc and just uh, throw out ideas to each other. She'd tell me um, I always said I add the structure she adds the chaos like we uh, we'd come up with like this is a story I want to tell I'd be like okay how do we how how about we do this. And then and she'd be like, okay, great. And, and so it was a lot of yes ending. And we sit there together and just hammer out a script together. 
the most, most of the time. And it was actually great because um, I have a huge amount of ADHD. So it kept me on task <laughs> to have her in the room. Um, but, um, but we also had a lot of fun because we'd sit there, like there were times when we weren't even talking, we were just typing out together and then you'd see her like edit and I'd edit and we came up with really fun things. And, and I think we just let each other have things like she's not a cat person, um, but she let me have the kitty kitty. <laughs> which is like my favorite part. Like I just went crazy about a cat. Um, and, and we really, yeah, I actually, it's, it's kind of, I miss it because um, writing can be such an isolating experience. So to have a co-writer come in and actually do that stuff together was really, was really fun. And so um, I hope we get to do something else. We, we, we did hyperforce together as well. And, and we vibe really well in terms of our creative instincts. So I'm excited to see uh, Megan do something on her own. Cause I think she's got a great, Great instincts and great potential, um, but definitely I enjoy I enjoy the co writing process with her. Um, I think we we work really well. I don't think we ever had an issue where we were at an impasse or one of us wanted to do something the other one didn't want to do. We were very open to each other's process and created something I think really cool. I, I kind of I feel like I'm picking up a little a little vibe like maybe one of you is Eva and one of you is Maddie. In, <laughs> uh... You know, actually no, um, Maddie uh, is based on her friend Lena. <laughs> um i don't know if i i'm actually in there i'm gonna be honest but um i would say if i was anybody i'd be i'd be eva's producer giving her notes on the side <laughs> but um but no it was um the, the, even the maddie thing again like it was based it was based you know roughly very roughly all of this is like obviously dramatized and, and changed and, and nothing is, is very much the same but like uh maddie is very much an homage to her her buddy Lena, who has worked with her for 10 years <laughs> as their editor in Girl Friday and, you know, BFF. So, but, um, but definitely um, you do see a lot of, like, I would see we're, we're, we're more like sisters and friends at this point, for sure. Don't let my sisters know that they're really upset about me, but yeah, <laughs> I love my sisters. They're great. Sooner or later, siblings accept that. <laughs> So uh, Radiant Pink is a, a video game streamer who's also a superhero, obviously. You know, I, I, I guess how in that that sort of realm, in that culture, how familiar with it are you kind of going into it? Because I feel like you have to have a base going into characters like this or, you know, else you sound like Stan Lee writing teens in the early 1970s. <laughs> how you doing, fellow kids? Yeah. Um, well, Megan was a video game streamer for a really, really long time. And she still streams mm -hmm. occasionally. And um, And I streamed... For about a year or two after I uh, stopped working at Hasbro, just because I liked video games and it was fun. But um, through Hyperforce, I got to know a lot of streamers, a lot. Yeah. And um, and so I became, and my one of my roommates, uh, incidentally, Megan's ex-boyfriend, who um, now a really good friend, uh, he actually lived in this room <laughs> for about eight months. And, um, and he was a streamer. And so like I got an intricate knowledge of what that world looks like. And, and also through Megan, who lives a very fast paced, crazy kind of life. I think she's going to Tokyo this week. She oh, just got God. back from New York. That's why she was here. And mm -hmm. uh, and it, it like so you do get an up close and personal view at the absolute chaos that comes from that kind of world and and the um, the instability that you constantly face. So there was there was definitely something really authentic. A lot of the nit streamy nitsy bitsy bits that came from Megan's from Megan herself. Like that that was her world 
Um, my world was was structure, plot, um, making sure that, you know, we hit the page count that, you know, I, I, I had a lot of hand in Kelly. I really just loved Kelly as a character and and really just wanted to um, I like creating a good character that's flawed and interesting. And so uh, streaming was all her. And then for me, it was it was structure, plot and and Kelly. So uh, this book included an entire planet of evil cats. Yes. Um, Matt, how did you feel about that? <laughs> well, as her royal highness has been staring at me on and off this entire time. Uh, yeah, it felt pretty much like what I'm used to. <laughs> I love cats. I have, I just, we just adopted a new cat this weekend. Um, no, I just, I loved this idea. I just think cats are such interesting characters. She has a cat. So initially she has a cat already that's Eva that's called Kevin McAllister. And you know, uh, Kyle's a cat dad. Uh, and, um, and so I initially had pitched that along with Eva and Kelly going on this crazy adventure that the cat came to and that the cat just suddenly gained the ability to speak. And um, and it was just going to be like Eva, Kelly and this and the cat. And Kyle was like too far. Like, that's too much. <laughs> and I was like, well, fine, I'm going to find a way to bring the damn cat. And so instead, what we did was we created an alien race of cats and um, and then it became much more feasible that this cat would speak. <laughs> and uh, and then, you know, and then it just it was just fun. You know, I mean, we like uh, I think. But the line of we don't have opposable thumbs was just <laughs> me being silly. Um, but then that became, OK, they don't have opposable thumbs, but they have a navigator. Why would the navigator be there with this cat? It's like, oh, they're slaves. <laughs> and that's how they recruit slaves. They'll like, capture slaves and make them do this stuff because they're cats and cats think they own everything. And so it was just fun. I just I it's a love letter to cats. But um their worst qualities, but also, you know, you can't, you can't be too mad at kitty kitty. That's their, that's their nature. <laughs> if you get the chance and you haven't, the uh, recent film Susume uh, not only has a talking cat, but a talking stool. So if, if you can't, if that could work in a major motion picture, then, you know, you could have had talking cat from jump. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'll send that no, to Kyle. I, I tend to dread the idea of, what a talking cat would or my cat talking at least would do my uh my partner is constantly like, all she just would say is hey feed me i love you my breath stinks i love you <laughs> it's like yes that's because you're only here every now and then you don't yeah. have to deal with all of the screaming because there yeah, are many more levels of screaming yeah you don't get the judgy eyes you don't understand Oh, I I got those judgy eyes earlier. It's like it's like best you're not due for food for another hour. Yeah, my um uh, my girlfriend, like I said, half the time she's up the farm, and um sometimes I'll have four animals here. I have the two cats and the two dogs, and then like Sandra, these animals are driving me crazy. They're like doing all this stuff, and then she comes home. She's like, they're not doing any of this. What are you talking about? I'm like, they act differently <laughs> when you're here. <laughs> I like I'm like ready to pull my hair out. I'm like I'm not crazy. Like. They're this demanding. It's just me. They gang up on me. No, as as Bess has become more comfortable around Laura, it's just the you know, she, a couple of weeks ago it was food time, and Laura sees her like 
sprint across the dining room to where her food is and the lever's like never seen her move that fast like <laughs> yeah that's because you're only here once a week you don't see her do her little flash impression every time it's you know wet food time yeah well they'll, she'll get there eventually uh, and it'll be a rude awakening yeah no no she does it to me and my wife all the time so it's like you're you're the third <laughs> person now so you're gonna get you're sooner or later when you're here babysitting when we're away and it's it's food time you're gonna see her climb you demanding her dinner <laughs> stink oh. breath to the face <laughs> all right well uh we've, we've got a little bit left here i did want to get in there you've got a story in the upcoming uh xeno anthology from uh, oni press that's out june 14th uh mm -hmm. what are you able to tell us about that um i i'm really excited about xeno it's it's a different kind of story from me it's more of a horror story it's more twilight zone um than anything and um and they paired me with a, a an amazing artist i i've always been fascinated with with the idea that um what what exists in the world is limited by what we can see and um and so the whole what if of this story is like what if somebody suddenly gained the ability to see all the all the colors not just the ones that we're limited to what are we missing what's in the world that we're just not seeing and um and that's basically the premise we have a have a, a lovely character named mateo who gets the ability to see things that we can't and realizes very quickly there's a reason maybe we shouldn't be seeing them but um well the reason i wanted to tell it in comic book form was that i just had this image of like the psychedelic world because he can see all the colors not just the ones that are, we're limited to in our eyes and, and when you do that you get to see like these psychedelic bombastic colors and uh danielle just did an amazing job he just kicked it out of the park it's just the art is gorgeous and it's disturbing and um and it's sad but um personally like i think i told him once like i feel so bad for him but i'm just so happy it's just it's a beautiful beautiful um Beautiful, beautifully drawn story that, that I, I can only hope I gave justice to in the writing. Um, and I really appreciate Hunter uh, in giving me the, and Zach and, and um, the amazing editors at, at Oni Press and giving me the opportunity to do something different since I just live in, in the world of superheroes right now. So to be able to step out of that and tell a different kind of story was a lot of fun. Um, how, how did you get it, uh, get involved in that project? Uh, so Hunter, who is the new president of Oni Press, um, I, I've known him for a long time. Uh, he worked at Boom. And mm -hmm. so when he transferred from Boom over to Oni Press, he uh, sent me a note and asked me if I'd be interested in participating. And I said, of course. Sounds very cool. Uh, so uh, penultimate question, uh, what are you reading right now? What am I reading? What did I just pick up? Hold on. Uh, I got all the free comic book day stuff. But let me let me pull up almost like i'm prepared um actually you're more prepared than a lot of guests when we ask that question this this is so, historically the gotcha question even though it's <laughs> not at all intended to be so um i just picked up uh batman three jokers uh i just picked up v for vendetta because i've never read it uh i just picked up eight block from emma ah, Hubert. Mm -hmm. um and then on my pool list uh obviously a ton of massive verse books so uh but I'm really, really into the Poison Ivy run. 
I think it's really cool. It's really a well-told story. I don't know where it's going, which I think is always very fun. Uh, Stoneheart by Emma Kubert. Really cool book. Um, obviously, Radiant Black, Rogue Sun, No One, all that fun stuff. I'm really into um, anything James Tinian. He's just so freaking good. And um, anything Tom Taylor, I usually am really into. So um, Dark Knights of Steel is like really fun for me. I'm really falling in love with a lot of the the Marvel stuff. I've been um, doing some work for Marvel. And so um, I reread The Young Avengers recently and I just forgot how what a perfect book that was. And so, yeah matter of just um finding time because my my to read stack is getting big the nice house on the lake is is one of my favorites it's very very cool that that is a good one and um so i i know you had a story in women in the uh, women of marvel one shot that but uh that that makes it sound like there might be some more stuff coming i i don't i don't know what you're talking about Fair. All right. Good answer. Good answer. Uh, <laughs> Melissa, this wait, has wait. been a nudge on all that. <laughs> yeah. um, also, there's some really cool stuff coming from Power Rangers, too. So, Awesome. We're looking forward to that. Uh, Melissa, this has been a fantastic time. Final question is, as we release you uh, back into the world, uh, how can people follow you online and keep up with Dead Lucky, Radiant Pink, and everything else that you have going on? Yeah, I'm uh, most active on Twitter for however long it lasts. So uh, Misty underscore Flores on Twitter is where usually I talk mostly about comic book stuff. Um, my Instagram is more personal related, but I also post about comic books there. So um, Misty underscore Flores on Instagram. Uh, my Facebook is usually just for friends and family, so I don't really do much there. So if you get a, if I get a friend request, you're probably not going to get a friend back just because I don't think you need to know who all my cousins in Mexico are. But um, but those are two the two places to get me. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. But um, if you have like professional questions, I have a, a website and you can email me there. And um, otherwise, I'm like very responsive on Twitter unless you ask me something I can't answer. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> All right, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. It was nice to meet you guys. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of ComicsXF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shout-outs on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a Pete Wisdom Hot Claw sticker designed by Kevin Newburn. A $3 donation gets you access to our bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. A $4 donation gets you access to Our Son Pete and the sticker. A $25 donation lets you plug your crowdfunded or creator-owned comic in a 60-second spot. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis, Robert Secundus, Liz Large, and Will Nevin from ComicsXF, Carla Pacheco, Mike Sagawa, and Azabah Fangirl, a.k.a. The Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF, assuming Twitter still works. And until next week, remember, somewhere out there, there's a Batman comic where all the characters simply cannot stop saying the word boner. W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.